Hi, I'm Mark Riccobono. Hi, I'm Howard Rosenblum from the National Association of the Deaf. Hi, I'm Bruce Sexton, and you're listening to ADA Live. Yo. Hi, let's roll. Let's go. Hi, everybody. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, I want to welcome you to this special episode of ADA Live. I'm Barry Whaley. I'm the director at the Southeast ADA Center. And as a reminder, listening audience, if you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can use our online form anytime at adalive.org. On April 7, 2021, after two years of deliberation, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals reversed a, federal, a Florida Federal District Court ruling in Gill versus Winn-Dixie. The 11th Circuit found that Winn-Dixie's website was not a place of public accommodation as they interpret the Title III of the ADA. The court also found the website <clears throat> did not pose a tangible barrier to the plaintiff, Juan Carlos Gill in order to have access to goods, services, privileges, or advantages of Winn-Dixie's physical stores. In their decision, the 11th Circuit ruled that although inaccessibility online can be a significant inconvenience, the supermarket chain Winn-Dixie cannot be found liable under Title III of the ADA for having a website that is inaccessible to people with disabilities who use screen reading software. This decision has implications, not only for blind people uh, or people with low vision, but it also impacts people who are deaf or hard of hearing, as well as barriers in digital access for all people with disabilities. Here to discuss the impact of that decision, we're pleased to have Mark Riccobono, the president of the National Federation of the Blind, Howard Rosenblum, CEO of the National Association of the Deaf, and Bruce Sexton, who is the lead plaintiff in National Federation for the Blind versus Target. Uh, joining us today, Dr. Peter Blank, Chairman of the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University. So again, welcome to ADA Live and Peter, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Barry. It, it really is a pleasure to be here with these panelists. I would say it's a family reunion but in this case, it's perhaps a little bit more of a wake. We are dealing with a recent court decision, as you have discussed, Barry, and my journey in this area goes back 30 years when I knew Howard with hair, when he was working with Newt Minow and myself at the Annenberg Foundation on this issue. I knew Mark and NFB when I was testifying before Congress on this very issue at the same time that Henry Hyde's committee was trying to impeach or did impeach President Bill Clinton. And soon after, I met a young student at Berkeley 
Bruce Sexton, and was honored to be co-counsel and play a small role in the seminal case representing the National Federation of the Blind versus Target Stores. The lead counsel in that case was a dear friend of all of ours who has passed away named Larry Paradis, who was a stellar disability rights lawyer at Disability Rights Advocates. I subsequently wrote a book called Equality as a professor, talking about these issues. And after the year 2000, 2014, evidently uh, I published, but perished in this case, because besides my mother, probably very few people would buy a book by Cambridge University Press on web access for people with disabilities written by a professor. Today, we're here to react to and discuss the impact of this Gill case, but taking it also in the broader context in which much progress has happened, uh, in which I also acted for with Larry Paradis, I should have mentioned, uh, the Greater Los Angeles Association for the Deaf versus CNN on a similar sort of case. Again, co-counsel with brilliant lawyers fighting for the right to web access for individuals with disabilities. So I want to get right into it. And I was going to start with Mark Riccobono. And simply put Mark, and I will ask all the panelists about this as well, where are we at? What do you think of this decision? And in my view, it's not the death knell, of course, for this issue, but we have a lot of work to do. Where are you and NFB at today on this issue? Well, thank you, Peter. Uh, I'll make it really simple. Uh, it, it's outrageous, right? It's outrageous. And the National Federation of the Blind, um, you know, we often and say that, uh, you know, we, we lose battles, but we don't lose the war. Uh, you've already alluded to the fact that, that we, as the organized blind movement, have been involved in this for decades now. Uh, but this particular ruling is outrageous. Um, recognizing that this is 2021, not 1921, and we're in the middle of a, a worldwide pandemic, the idea that the website, which permits you to stay at home uh, in the safety of your own home, that not being able to access the website is merely an inconvenience is completely, completely out of touch with reality. And so uh, obviously uh, besides disagreeing with the legal facts, we think just um, in terms of uh, being in touch with the real authentic experience of people with disabilities and our role in society in 2021, it's outrageous. Uh, so the Federation, we're going to put our energy, imagination, time into helping to uh, get a different ruling in this regard. But, but more than that, um, you know, we also recognize that Winn-Dixie itself as a major corporation has spent more money on this litigation and fighting accessibility than they would have needed to in making their website um, fully accessible to people with disabilities. So we encourage uh, everybody to recognize that they have placed their money 
where their values are. We would encourage people to boycott Winn-Dixie on, on that basis. But we also, uh, in addition, more than the courts, we need the United States Congress to act. We need Congress to um, affirmatively um, adopt into law the idea that the internet websites are places of public accommodation and that reflects the era that we're in. And we need accessibility to be the standard for the internet and websites and commerce and education, just as we have done in this nation for uh, physical places. Thank you, Mark. Howard, for as long as I've known you, which is a pretty long time now, uh, you've been at the forefront You've been at the forefront of this issue, leading the charge. I would ask you the same question that I put to Mark from the perspective of yourself and your organization and your community. Certainly. Thank you for allowing me to participate in this vital discussion with respect to the very recent decision on the part of the 11th Circuit, which has devastated any progress that we have gained in terms of the electronic age for access to the web. Now, if I may go back a little bit, I agree with you, Mark. Outrageous is the word I would use to describe this decision. It is a very narrow and isolated opinion and with selective use of the terminology. Not only that, it ignores the rest of uh, the ADA. It, it ignores the spirit and intention of the law itself. And thinking that Congress has to create an amendment or change an existing law if they want to have a remediation, I mean, it's outrageous. So this is, you're correct, we're in a pandemic. People are housebound. They can't access physical environments. They're isolated. So this approach to life is a complete disconnect to the current world in which we live. This opinion two years back that we've discussed, um, you know, after the pandemic, they, they, it's like they're making a decision for a world in which there is no pandemic, which is just unthinkable. So the NFB is, a is correct. There, this is a place of public accommodation. This is, um, this is a law that is standing in statute. They don't need to amend or change anything. It doesn't make a lick of sense. Now, the expectation uh, that they would do so is a grievous error. In saying so, um, Mark has uh, indicated We cannot continue to petition Congress um, every time we get a decision that we don't agree with to change the law that would bar our accessibility. I think that President George Bush said, when we signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, let the shameful wall of isolation and uh, the barrier, let that barrier come down. This opinion is a new shameful wall 
that has been constructed in an electronic format. Thank you, Howard. We'll come back to that. Very important remarks from two leaders of major national disability organizations. Let's take a different tack. Bruce Sexton, you were a young man getting through Berkeley, fine university, as a young man who was blind and stood up against Target stores for your right 25 years ago to access the web. Why did you do that, Bruce, then? And what do you think of what's going on today? Well, thank you, Peter. Um, yeah, back then I, I filled out a survey about accessibility, accessible websites or on whether the websites were accessible. And I was um, ultimately from that survey asked whether I wanted to participate in the target case with the National Federation of the Blind. And there was a lot of, um, for me, I, it was an easy decision because I wanted to not just help me to gain access to the web, but also to help many people gain access. And it was explained to me by Larry Paradis and other great lawyers like him that by taking on a giant store like Target, it would encourage other stores, but not only stores, but universities and the web in and of itself to take notice. And so I was very excited to be a part of a movement to create uh, a more accessible world for disabled people and the blind because accessibility to the web has now become more than just accessibility to the blind, but to all kinds of disabled folks who can't use keyboards or mice and that sort of thing. And people are now, because of the target lawsuit, uh, which was seminal at the time, it was very, uh, it was never done before uh, successfully. The, we were able to, to propel that uh, sentiment of accessibility. And now people <clears throat> like my brother and sisters and, and lots of folks are in jobs of web accessibility getting paid good salaries to make sure that um, companies reduce their risk to um, to other lawsuits and and but it's it and uh, and they're also saying that it's just the right thing to do banks and google and amazons of the world are did take note of the target suit and now that this decision is coming down it's appalling and um because that accessibility can be set back. I mean, of course, we do hope that Congress acts. We hope that um, perhaps the Supreme Court would 
take and and agree with other decisions that are more favorable but at the same time right now what what we need is um, to have a solid idea in the law that says that web accessibility is as important as we know it is when i was part of the target suit also i was asked by the lawyers to try using the telephone to make an order on Target. And it takes a lot longer to be on a telephone conversation, to ask detailed information. The, the representative was not able to spend as much time as I needed to, to discover the products, to, to understand what what they look like and how, how, whether they, you know, whether it was pants or shirts, whether they fit, whether it was the right color and all of that sort of thing. And, and, I, and I've noticed recently too, like when you're on the phone, it says if for a faster, easier experience, go to the web. So it's, it's a way to um, experience life in a much more positive way, including the ability to, you know, if I, I have two kids and if I'm on the web and I'm doing some shopping, I can leave my computer for a couple minutes, attend to my kids and then come back at any time, continue to add things to my cart, to link the information that I need while I'm at, at the convenience of my home during this pandemic, but also at any time. It's a, a, just a more convenient, stable 24 hour. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, it's, the, the web is very patient. It doesn't have to um, uh, you know, count how much time I am using it and that sort of thing. So, okay. so it's a very permanent thing. And, I, and so. That's excellent, Bruce. Thank you. You're gonna have more time to speak, but I wanna make another rotation here. Uh, obviously, Mark, we're embedded now in a complicated legal strategy as well for your members, NAD's members. The, essentially, the 11th Circuit has, uh, has held that the web in and of itself is not covered by the ADA Title III in this case. The target case, 9th Circuit, there must be a nexus to a physical place. The First Circuit and arguably the Seventh Circuit no nexus. What's your strategy, Mark, going forward? What are you hearing from your members? What, what are your short-term and longer-term efforts going to be to rectify this? Well, it's, it's a great question. Um, and, and so I'm not going to take it from the legal point of view. Obviously, we, have, we in the National Federation of the Blind have continued to press for rulings wherever we can get them. Um, that in fact, uh, websites, uh, Nexus or no Nexus, uh, should be accessible. And I agree with Howard that, that um, the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, in our mind, uh, this issue is covered uh, based on the role that websites and e-commerce play in today's society. But for us, you know, it's a, it's a multi-pronged strategy. And I, I want to 
take a second to call out Target because we've called out the lawsuit. But, you know, we, we actually need to take a step back and acknowledge that Target um, uh, ha has, has flipped the script. I mean, they have um, made accessibility a core part of what they're doing uh, online and in their stores. And uh, a perfect evidence is uh, my wife, who's blind, she, she's a Target fanatic, so too much of my uh, uh, yearly income goes to Target. But that's, that, that's true for, for a lot of people, and that's because they have made people with disabilities, that they've recognized and, and made that a Target audience for them. And, uh, you know, kudos to Target for taking um, what was a, a tenuous situation and a real battle, and they've made it a positive. So that is part of our strategy, right? We're going to continue to work with corporations, schools, uh, uh, other organizations that really recognize that people with disabilities are part of their constituency and that having accessible uh, websites, that's a priority for them. So we're going to continue to promote the best practices in how to make sure that um, the internet is accessible to people with disabilities, uh, continuing to pursue those avenues in the courts as well, um, continuing to uh, help uh, university training programs that are training people to go into the technology field to realize that accessibility is about good design. It's not about fixing something later, you know, just like we do in buildings, you build a website with accessibility the first time it's going to be accessible. And uh, the final thing is, although we do believe that the Americans with Disabilities Act covers this space, um, we do feel it's important for Congress uh, to take affirmative action to pass a law that says um, uh, websites, mobile apps, other online applications uh, do have to be accessible to people with disabilities and to help promote um, the, the WCAG standards, which have done a great job of um, giving people guidance and to use that as a baseline for really um, making it clear, you know, from all aspects of our democracy that uh, people with disabilities need to be included in um, the online commerce of our nation. Thank you, Mark. Howard, I, I think I know we share a common mentor, Newton Minow, uh, who has always said to me uh, what a lot of people say, you can do well by doing right. And here, your community has a, has a totally vested stake in this. You can talk about, of course, the CNN and other cases. But where are you going now with your members in partnership with NFB on this issue? Excellent. Firstly, I would like to ask Mark if he is able to maybe earn a commission from his wife shopping. Maybe that would go toward their accessibility budget if you could <laughs> pay that back. Anyway, so maybe all deafblind shoppers that should go, uh, a commission of that should go toward accessibility. But I share many, of course, of these uh, sentiments. 
As far as NAD goes, we have the Netflix seminal case in our back pocket um, for web streaming and captions. And certainly, there are many deaf people who enjoy those services and and feel very vested in them because of the necessary captions. But streaming movies, unlike physical DVDs, are not always captioned. And the NAD asked that that be accommodated, that all streaming content would be um, captioned. And they indicated that they did not have to do that. Secondly, that it was just too hard. Um, analog captions would not port to a digital um, conversion, and so it was too expensive and nigh unto impossible. We brought evidence. We brought technology. We brought solutions on ways that this could happen, but they remained staunch in their position. And the law firm that we used was with DREDF, D-R-E-D-F, um, and the law firm ultimately um, a lot of those lawyers moved on to CRE, but among the three um, legal counsels, we were able to bring a suit against Netflix, realizing that, of course, we couldn't do it in a given, well, they didn't have a physical operation, we couldn't do it in a kind of jurisdictional way, but the First Circuit um, was where we decided to go ahead and file. And we were one of the first to argue and to win the fact that there is, you know, no physical nexus whatsoever. They are entirely web-based. And if you take a look at Winn-Dixie, the implication there is that there is a physical place which would provide goods and services, benefits to customers that are tangible, and that should be accessible. But tangible and physical are not necessarily the same thing. In our Netflix case, they provided uh, a suite of services, goods, services, sales, entirely web-based. And that's the future, if I may. And after we won Netflix, every other web streaming organization, or we'll call them business, were on notice and agreed 100% that captions were the order of the day. That was 10 years ago. Well, nine years ago. And at this stage, were it not for Netflix, all the deaf people who have been housebound now during COVID would not have been able to avail of any of the streamed content. So that Netflix case set the stage and impacted the world, uh, and deaf people in other countries as well have indicated that now they can use Netflix in their own respective countries um, that hadn't provided um, caption content. So. Again, this is a seminal case. I think the strategy going forward is to rely on the first circuit. And we encourage everyone, everyone, 
if you're talking about web accessibility first or maybe as a backup second circuit, focusing entirely on building a record of cases. If you think about it, winning in the second circuit would cover that because honestly, the web is international. It would cover the whole of the country because it's regardless of first, second, ninth, or what have you, it's an advantage to us. Um, and it should be our collective strategy to focus on the most favorable outcomes. Um, so that should be our focus. And Harvard and MIT are in the first circuit. That should be a strategy to pursue. Those kinds of universities also providing um, accessibility in their own respective web content. Thank you, Howard. Bruce, one of my proudest days was when you asked me to hood you and hand you your diploma, your law diploma, on your graduation. Little did we know 20 years later when, when you were the NFB named plaintiff. Uh, it's, uh, it's, of course, a, a very distressing decision. In your daily life today, are you still experiencing uh, barriers to the web? Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, there are so many websites that are not accessible or documents on websites that are not accessible um, or information that could be on the internet but is still paper-based that could be, would be a lot better if it were on the web. Uh, form like for example, uh, forms on on from the school district for my kids are, are are I can download them from the web, but then I can't actually fill them out. If they were web based, with accessibility in mind, I would be able to I would be able to fill them out. So uh, there there in in many many areas of life, um, a lot of people are more open to changing things on their websites but um, but I still do find barriers that prevent me from fully participating in the world and and I don't want to harp on it too much but filling in forms is a huge whether it's doctor's offices or schools or or um, filling out credit cards or getting medication, like in the Winn Dixie case, it's it's um, it's or or even trying to get tested for COVID or the vaccine. The web experience is horrendous in some of those instances. Well, thank you, Bruce. It's really important to to emphasize the day to day grassroots difficulties that are going on. Mark, this is the lightning round, the last three questions. And I'm thinking in listening to you amazing advocates, scratching my head, why in this day and age is corporate America 
across the board, not on board with this. You mentioned also a more universal right to the web, which I believe Canada and some other countries uh, have, as well as uh, uh, embedded in the, the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Why in this day and age, with the consumer power of the NFB and the NAD and host of other organizations that are not here today, are we still having these battles? Well, you know, uh, the progress we have made is, is significant uh, across the board. Um, but the fundamental reason that we're having this conversation is the same one um, that the National Federation of the Blind, the National Association of the Deaf, other disability advocates have been working for now for uh, against, have been working against now for decades, which are really the low expectations that exist and um, really the low um, standard um, that is set in terms of how people with disabilities are expected to participate uh, in all aspects of this nation. The fact of the matter is that uh, people with disabilities are uh, in, in, in too many places, even today, an afterthought. Uh, Howard mentioned uh, Harvard and MIT, and it, it brought me back to the fact that uh, 10 years ago, uh, we uh, got a report, a federal commission uh, through the Department of Education to recommend that uh, there be uh, a standard that tells universities uh, how to make all of their information technologies accessible to people with disabilities. That was 10 years ago, we got that federal commission to um, issue that as their number one priority for accessible instructional materials. Imagine if that would have actually happened, what would have happened during the pandemic, right? So many schools would have been ready for that digital conversion, frankly, for all students, but certainly for students with disabilities who disproportionately got shut out of online learning for all sorts of reasons. It comes down to the fact that at the end of the day, corporations, schools, people with disabilities are an afterthought and that we need to continue the fight, continue to push forward to get people with disabilities to be thought of as part of the group from day one. And what we know and especially is true with digital technology, but across the board, when people with disabilities are included from the beginning, the solutions are better, they're more innovative, and they work better for everyone. That's truly the fight that we've all been in from the beginning, right, is getting the public to understand disability in the authentic way we do, and getting that to be baked into the, the programs we do. That's the commitment that we continue to have in the National Federation of the Blind. I'm glad we have um, so many allies and, and advocates in the disability rights community pushing on this together. Thank you, Mark. I would ask you, Howard, the same question, but I'm also struck uh, 
of the intersectional nature of this issue as well, in terms of people of color, people living in poverty, uh, all disenfranchised and oppressed groups, immigrants in our society, many of whom have disabilities, and how this, this hurtful approach cuts across all these dynamics. Perhaps you can react to that and also my earlier comment as well, the depth of this community. Absolutely, Peter. It remains a challenge to be sure. I think that part of the issue in this country right now is, well, there's the fact that the web is not accessible. And there's also the fact that access to the internet in general is not available to many marginalized groups, regardless of their disability status or not. This should be part of uh, a systemic movement in the United States, just like utilities, electricity, water, housing itself, there should be um, a basic human right understood of access to the internet for purposes of education, medical care, um, as we see so much is happening through the internet. Um, not able to access them. It's just not an equitable situation the mindset, the system itself should be completely accessible. And there now um, exists with COVID, uh, another burden for people who are deaf and hard of hearing. As you see this platform here, um, it doesn't have um, uh, the greatest of embedded auto captions. Many platforms, don't have a built-in way to have an interpreter docked on the screen, which is what many deaf students in particular are going through in high schools and post-secondary education just to have visibility on everyone uh, on screen. Now, in terms of corporations, I do agree with Mark that there are several strategies at hand here. We have to bring attention into the public mind that Winn-Dixie has invested a fortune in fighting web access when all they had to do was fix a website so that their customers could use it. Why would any corporation resist such a thing? It, is, it makes no sense whatsoever. As far as the NFB and the NAD is concerned and all the other disability advocacy organizations, um, we can identify actions could to be taken against these sort of strident postures that people have and work in tandem with each other so that we can not only fix this but fix other matters as well you know there's social injustice political correctness and all the other things that really get down to respect and the money and the power the money and the power of people with disabilities. So hopefully we can work together to highlight the bad actors and encourage the community across the board um, to certainly give attention to this shameful matter. 
that has uh, degraded this community's access. Congress, uh, the political process, the litigation process, all of these things should come to be brought to bear against this kind of oppression. Thank you, Howard. Bruce, I'm happy to give you the brief last closing of your choice, and then we shall take a few questions uh, very briefly and have some closing remarks by Barry and his team, but incredibly stimulating discussion by leaders in this community that I hope will be thought about very deeply. Bruce? Thank you, Peter. Um, the, what I wanna say is that disabled folks need to continue to demand the right to accessibility on the web because that's the way of life. It's a way to gain access to the outside world, a way to gain access to our medical care, to education, to religion or wh whatever it may be that we have. And we cannot, we cannot stand for the Winn-Dixie cases of the world because we cannot be barred from living our lives. It's 2021. It is time for us to have equal access. Thank you, Bruce. I know I'm here in Syracuse, New York today, and I'm heading to Wegmans uh, for my grocery shopping next. Uh, it's been a very important and stimulating discussion. Uh, it's not every day that I, I have the great honor to, to really engage with leaders such as Mark, Howard, and Bruce. Uh, we very much look forward to continuing this dialogue cross-disability, cross-individual, from an intersectional and, and deep perspective. And I want to thank you very much today, the three of you, for participating at this beginning salvo. Uh, I turn it now to my colleague, Barry Whaley, who may have some closing remarks and or questions from our listeners. Barry? Thank you, Peter, for being our host today. Thank you to Howard, Mark, and Bruce for being our guests. Um, thank you very much for being so generous with your time to be on ADA Live. Howard Rosenblum is the CEO of the National Association of the Deaf. Mark Riccobono, president of the National Federation of the Blind. And then Bruce Sexton, who was the plaintiff in uh, NFB versus Target. So thank you again for being with us. If you want to learn more about the National Federation of the Blind, please visit their website at nfb.org. If you want to learn more about the National Association of the Deaf, their website is nad.org. Also wanna thank our listeners for joining us for this special episode uh, and to remind them that to get access to all ADA Live episodes on our website at adalive.org. All those episodes are archived with streamed audio, accessible transcripts, and resources. Uh, you can listen to ADA Live on SoundCloud. Uh, you can go to soundcloud.com forward slash ADA Live. 
You can download ADA Live to your mobile device. Uh, go to the podcast app and search for ADA Live. If you have questions for our panelists today or other questions about the ADA, you can submit them anytime at adalive.org or you can contact uh, your regional ADA Center for general qu questions about the ADA at 1-800-949-4232. And remember those calls are always free and they're confidential. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center. Our producer is Celestia Razda with Beth Miller-Harrison, Mary Mortar, Emily Ruber, Marsha Schwanke, and me, I'm Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the movement for improvement. We'll see you next episode and be safe, everybody. Sofas, big watching.